Well, my idea with this episode would be kind of um, just to talk about Arashi and, you know, the fandom and um, that kind of thing. But also, I, I think it would be a good introduction um, for anybody that might um, just not know Arashi, but maybe coming in, they see some news coverage that says uh, this, this, you know, Japan's biggest boy band is going on hiatus and maybe curious about the group or something. Um, I, I don't know, maybe something like Happiness oh. would be a good song to I start think with. So. Yeah, it, it definitely is very symbolic. And I think, oh no, I feel like I'm going to cry. Okay, so when, because <laughs> I think that's a lot of, that's a lot of, um, I think happy memories, right? That people associate with, Arashi, so I think happiness, yeah, happiness is a great uh, song, I think, to, to kick it off. Alright, well then I'll, I'll go ahead and play that here. everybody listening. Hopefully you know who I am, but my guest today is somebody that I've known online for, I mean, what, 12 years, 13 years, a long time. Um, and we've, we go back all the way to live journal days <laughs> and, <laughs> and haunting, um, you know, various Arashi communities and drama communities. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So, hi. Um, my name is Yen, and I think most of the people who know me know me through this translation blog that I run. Um, 
that's on Twitter. So uh, nice to meet everyone. Well, welcome. And I'm really happy that you could come and talk to me today, especially right now, um, as Arashi is kind of sort of closing out a lot of their long-running shows and um, sort of bringing things to a, a graceful, graceful ending, which, yeah, must have been difficult to kind of coordinate over this last pandemic year. It's been so, so unsettling and and just difficult and um i think we're all just doing the best we can right now but um i'm i'm kind of hoping today just to talk about arashi and you know good memories that we have and um maybe give a little introduction or just context for people that may not know really who they are may have just seen the name or you know maybe seen one of their newer songs that they've done um, this last year or so for sort of the more global audience, um, which have been a lot of fun. It's been, it's definitely been a lot of fun hearing kind of their take on global pop music. I guess we can give, or maybe I'll give like a little intro to the group and you can jump in if I've missed something. But so Arashi, they're five members. And they were formed back in 1999 from sort of three very popular juniors taken from a junior unit, Main, M-A-I-N. And then um, also two popular juniors that were not in that unit. And um, they, <laughs> they were kind of just sort of thrown together and um, debuted with like a big splash in Hawaii in 1999. And then sort of just spun their wheels for a while, kind of working on late night variety and um, just sort of slowly building a a fan base um, before getting a real boost with uh, Hanayori Dango, which is Boys Over Flowers, when um, Matsumoto Jun starred in that. And that kind of kickstarted their real... Um, rise to popularity, which really happened, I think, about their 10th anniversary. And then from there, it was just the sky's the limit, really, until Ono decided that he'd had enough and wanted to leave show business. And they kind of all decided to, rather than trying to continue as four or um, replacing him, that they were going to just sort of end end the project with, um, or not end, pause, put a pause on the project with the idea that, um, in theory, um, they could pick it up and come back anytime they wanted. Does that sound about the, the broad strokes? Sounds good to me. Do you remember when you started getting interested in Arashi at all? Do you remember those, like, very first, um, very first things that caught your attention? I do, actually, because I... Remember in my initial um days into J-pop, which, you know, go way back, since you mentioned that we had known each other on Life Journal for more than, yeah, like, more than a decade. Years, <laughs> <laughs> we just gave our ages away. So, <laughs> so back then, when um Music Station used to be aired in the country that I'm in, and, um, I remember seeing Arshi on stage uh in probably like 2000 and thinking they're not very interesting (laughs) as a group 
V6 was much cooler. So that was probably my first exposure to RSG because I still remember having this MP3 of Typhoon Generation on my music player for some reason. And then fast forward to probably like 2007. And um, I think, unlike a lot of fans, I never really got into the Hanayuri Dango drama for reasons that I shan't uh, elaborate on. But um, the very first RSG video that I saw that I was really interested in was probably the Mago Mago Arashi, uh Tuna special episode that we just delivering tuna to people in Fuji television and I was like okay what this group of idols doing cutting up tuna and trying to serve it to random people and I thought they were so charming and cute and you know just started watching more and more of their shows and it really um went on from there and it wasn't until probably 2010 that I really fell in love with that music so I kind of took a probably a re- a reverse approach um, as opposed to many other fans uh, in the fandom who probably fell in love with the music and um, started started exploring more. more. For me, it was more from a variety standpoint. That is interesting. I've heard heard that from other people as well. I've I've always felt like I was in the minority for enjoying the music first and then and then realizing right. that there were variety shows. But I'm really glad you brought up Mago Mago Arashi because um, I I just recently rewatched the um, Kohaku from 2018. And you know how they, they go up to, um, they have that special video where they go to, I, I want to say it's Iwate Ken and go to the soba shop and... Mm-hmm just sit and chat with the grannies and I think you yeah know, the they br- somebody brings in um a baby <laughs> and and they're just sitting around the table um and you know somebody gives I want to say it's Iba is holding the baby or maybe Ono and they just I, I've always felt that that interaction with Arashi and just regular people um, like they did in Mago Mago Arashi, you know, just went and acted as grandchildren for the day to oh. sort of random couples. Um, I, I feel like that was always, or one of their very strong points was just that ability to connect with regular people and bring something just very special um, into their 
into their lives and to make these sort of mundane things like delivering tuna just feel very interesting and meaningful and um, special. I think you're exactly right um, in the sense that, you know, they do take very ordinary things and they make it memorable. Um, and I think the personality really shines through. And um, like you mentioned, they have an extraordinary ability to connect with people, which is why I think, you know, a lot of people still find them very grounded. And it's not just regular people. I think a lot of celebrities as well just think that um, they're very down to earth. And uh, seeing the tributes that's being paid to them uh, just before the hiatus, it kind of cements that impression in my mind. Yeah, it's like AKB48 has that tagline of, is it something like, idols you can meet? Or the idols you can meet. The idols. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. But to me, right. I've always felt like um, that really just suits Arashi more. Um, because when I did start watching their variety, that really was what affected me, was seeing them um, interact with these grandparents and um, mothers and babies and kids. And, and just seeing them with ordinary people or ordinary fans and I, I mean do you remember after the um earthquake and they went and did that special concert yeah. up in um that were they did they actually go to fukushima i wish i'd looked at this this <laughs> looked this up now but i just vividly remember um, i can't remember yeah it was either miyagi or iwate I, i'm sorry i can't remember yeah um i, I can put it in the the show notes <laughs> if i can find the link to it but um you know, yeah. just yeah, yeah, just doing that kind of thing, and and you know, you can say like, oh well, they need resources; they don't need idols to come and play. But but everybody needs right. a little bit of hope and color and just something to look forward to. My God, I mean, if we had nothing to look forward to, um, and and nothing exciting to, that was ever going to happen, you know, what a dull, depressing um, life it would be. Mm. And I remember, too, there was, I want to say it was on VS Arashi with, um, they had that team of middle schoolers, um, and oh, there was the, the little was boy, so <laughs> or he wasn't little, but he was like this teen boy who was just like the biggest <laughs> Iba fan. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he had these little hard eyes for Iba, who was just, I mean, could not have been kinder, could not have been kinder to this this you know middle school boy with uh, a big crush i mean it was just so cute but i, I mean that was you know that was arashi and their variety yeah i, I mean more than because i watched smap you know smap smap and they would have celebrities on and they would kind of you know joke around and um but for for whatever reason i don't know like you you didn't get that feeling with smap as you did with Arashi when they would just talk with regular people. SMAP always felt more like celebrities. It did feel like there was a wall, I think, um, when or some sort of barrier when SMAP would talk to regular folks. But with Arashi, it didn't quite feel that way. 
um, I'm not sure if it's because of the image or you know just in the way they related to people. Maybe for June they felt like there was a bit <laughs> of a barrier. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you know, he, rest, he is marvelous, marvelous Matsujune. <laughs> the MJ. Yeah, he is so, the MJ. Yeah, but MJ is still. You know, even normal celebrities, well, they're not normal, but like <laughs> regular celebrities would feel that there's some sort of barrier with MJ. But for the other four, it's like, hey, hi, Iva, you know. Yeah. Well, I think, have you been watching the Netflix special um, or the Netflix series? Yeah, yeah, I have. I'm, I'm all caught up. Oh, I'm, I'm not quite caught up, but um, I've been kind of saving it for, you know, um, but the the episode with Ayaba where he goes to visit his old teacher and he's recording in the park and I, I want to say you just hear this kid yell off screaming like, hey Ayaba. It's kind of waving like, hey. <laughs> oh, the 24-hour television too where they would go out and, yeah. and talk to all the aunties in the markets. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I mean, that's what I miss. Um, and I think we'll still have the opportunity to see them interact because, you know, they could get individual hosting gigs on 24-hour TV, who knows. Um, but it's just this quality of theirs that I think it's there to stay. Um, and regular people just, just feel comfortable with them, I think, even though they might be meeting them for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's and it's kind of funny too because this image of just these regular men um, in your neighborhood kind of goes hand in hand with this image of their absolutely amazing um, stage concerts. I mean, my God, mm. you know, world class. Like, I mean, nobody does stuff like this. Uh, you know, thanks to. In large part, marvelous Matsujun, which unfortunately I've never had the <laughs> chance to see live, but I know you have. I don't know if you want to yeah, talk about it, going it, to their concerts at all, but yeah, definitely. Um, I've had the honor or pleasure to attend a few of their shows, and um, I must say that it's a really very different experience from just watching it through a DVD. I mean. The show as presented through the DVD is an excellent show, but um, when you're at a live concert, the atmosphere is different, and um, most of all, you really hear the fans, and that's what gets you the most excited because the atmosphere in the dome or um, you know the stadium is just electrifying. And something that um, you really appreciate in the concerts is that uh, depending on the seat that you get, the experience is different, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one is poorer than the other. So June would, you know, say that when they plan a concert, he would walk along the last rows um, of the dome just to see how the concert will look like right at the top. So I had the pleasure of or the unfortunate luck of uh, hitting for a really, really far-end seat for the Untitled concert. And it is a totally different experience when you watch it up there. Because firstly, they um, introduced this huge LED screen 
be that year uh, for the concert. And, you know, it was like watching a DVD from your concert seat because it was so clear uh, when the actual guys were, you know, smaller than probably a knuckle of your finger if you were to watch them with your naked eye. And uh, seeing the pan lights um, and how they use the uh, video footage to enhance the concert watching experience was something really spectacular. So I have a whole new appreciation for the concerts and the kind of work that goes into it when viewed from the audience seats. And of course, they are extremely charismatic and really um, just all-around idol, idols uh, during the concerts. So when you hear people like the comedians like Yoshimura or um, Drunk Dragon Tsugaji saying that, you know, Arashi totally feels like different people um, in variety shows and in concerts and it, it kind of testifies to their abilities to kind of like switch to, into different modes because they're so good at their jobs yeah they're i mean they really are just professional idols um and they really embody that i think more than more than anybody i mean they've they've mm. earned earned their place at the top <laughs> and yet remain so gracious and humble, I think, in a lot of ways. When at that same 2018 Kohaku, um, which is one of my favorite ones, uh, and at the so Arashi are the the final act in like the battle, and they perform um, Kimi no Uta. <laughs> It's really lovely, such a nice ending, uh, you know. But then the actual final act of the night was Southern All Stars, and I kind of liked that the way that that was kind of organized. <laughs> so that Southern Southern All Stars, you know, their legendary group, 40th anniversary, got a chance to really shine. But Arashi was also the, you know, they got to be the uh, Otori or the the big grand finale um so it was a nice compromise but when southern gets up there and they're playing and you can see all the members just singing and dancing and show had been hosting that year so he's like <laughs> right up front doing that you know he has that ugly like the ugly smile <laughs> he does where his cheeks all scrunch up like a chipmunk <laughs> and he's just Awkwardly, yeah, awkwardly, you know, just like jumping up and down, not really caring about, you know, whether he looks cool or not. And then, you know, you can kind of see um, Ono in the back. Um, but that year they had brought back um, Kitajima Saburo just for like a sort of a special performance. They'd brought him back and he is elderly. He is an elderly man. Um, and you can see Ono on stage with his hand at Sabo-chan's back, making sure that he doesn't topple over because <laughs> he is also dancing. And it's just like the sweetest, you know, I mean, that's, to me, that, that was just, you know, everything. 
is seeing him keeping an eye on this, you know, um, elderly Inca singer <laughs> as he's also, you know, trying to enjoy and, and be on stage and, and be performing, but with one eye on, on this tiny, tiny elderly man. It's a very sweet moment. Yeah, and it just drove home, I think, in a lot of ways, um, how human they are in a lot of aspects. So a lot of the performances, I think, um, while it's very showy and um, very glitzy, but it also has a very human element. Um, and I think the focus has always been the emotional connection that the performance brings to the audience, which is why I think a lot of people really connect to their message and connect to the performances that they deliver, whether you know it's at their concerts or whether it's at um, grand music shows like Ohaku. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point, actually, um, because they do have these very spectacular stages. And I think, you know, that that's the element, that emotion and that connection that if, you know, coming as an outsider, maybe, or someone who's never seen them before, you might look at it and think like, well, their dancing isn't perfectly in sync. Um, well, maybe their singing isn't technically, um, you know, the best. But that stuff is almost beside the point. I mean, I've always and I remember I'm sure you remember I've gotten heat back in in live journal days especially for standing up in support of Matsumoto Jun's vocals you know that's not like um a big American Idol style voice or uh it's not the you know they don't have the kind of voices except for um you know Ono maybe but that would go on like a, a singing talent show or something but they do have that emotional quality, and I think that they do put the meaning into the lyrics and really make an effort to connect with the listener. Um, and, and sometimes it does take, um, especially coming from the outside, you know, you don't see this right away, and you have to put put a little bit of work in, or maybe you have to hear the song um, a few times to... to connect with it and really understand what what the appeal is I don't know if that makes any sense <laughs> yeah I think so and I think fans will probably be the first to say that they don't automatically love every song some songs will take a few listens to get used to or to warm up to um, but it doesn't mean that the emotional connection isn't there all of our songs have very simple but um, very meaningful messages behind them and I think it's always been part of the way they approach their music. They have always wanted to deliver a message through their music 
And I think that's why it has connected with a lot of people, even though the style of the music may not particularly appeal to the listener. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I, <laughs> I did an episode, um, I guess it was last year, with a, an, an Arashian friend of mine, and we were talking about the song Love Rainbow. <laughs> Love Rainbow is a song that it took me, I want to say, years to, to really appreciate. <laughs> because the something about the melody or the it just it it I didn't like it at first, but then you right. know years of hearing it on music shows and and finally something connected, and now I really enjoy it, um, including. Um, MJ's little conductor choreography that he does which is just so very silly and (laughs) it's just part of the song now you have to see the little you know conductor choreography to appreciate it but I think that's the kind of song where uh, I don't know maybe even it's making me more nostalgic now since um uh that was the theme song to uh Jun's drama with uh, Takuchi Yuko who passed away this year um, mm-hmm. which was just so sad that was really really sad yes indeed well speaking of dramas um, we we I think we both watched 99 was it 99 or 99.9 99.9 point. okay so we both watched 99.9 and I remember you saying that the um, fangirl character in that was probably the most um, realistic portrayal of kind of an adult fangirl that you'd ever seen. I liked that theme because I really do feel like it was a pretty accurate portrayal. Um, and I don't remember the character's name, but she was a lawyer who was a pro wrestling fan. And she, you know, she had all her goods in her office. Yeah, Ikra's a nice character. Yeah, yeah. And she had all her goods in her office, and, um, and you know, she would go to the handshake events and, and all that kind of thing. But she was still very competent, and, you know, she wasn't portrayed as, like, weird or an imbecile or stupid or, um, you know, socially deviant or anything. She was just a normal woman who had <laughs> this extraordinary hobby that she was just very um, passionate about. And it, I, I liked the idea that, um, that Matsumoto would have a character like this in his drama because he's seen us all <laughs> for all of these years up close and um, knows what we're like. 
Okay, now that you mentioned that it's a Granana's character, I remember now I, I did make that statement um, because I thought <laughs> you were talking about the other June's fan girl, oh, no. uh, Miyamaki Hotel's fan, which was the other girl. I think it was uh, Kanako, the one who's always, uh, you know, following him in the izakaya. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. So I, I, I totally agree that, um, yeah, it's, it's a really, I think, adorable portrayal of a mature woman who has a hobby, um, follows it enthusiastically, and like you said, it's completely competent at her job. Um, so, yeah, that was fun to watch, and Ikura Nana really brought that character to life. I really enjoyed um, watching her perform, and it was a real shame that you know she couldn't appear in season two. Yeah, yeah, she's so charming too. I really like. She's got such a nice smile. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun drama, and I loved too that they had um, Kishibe Itoku from the Tigers <laughs> as the yeah. as the big boss, which was um, that was fun for me and probably any of the um, fans on the older side in their sixties and seventies would have enjoyed that. I'm sure. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't watched. It's been a while since I've watched an Arashi drama. That is one thing um, that maybe fans who aren't familiar, or I guess not, they wouldn't be fans if they're not familiar, but people that aren't familiar with um, Japanese dramas, you know, it, they, it is hard to find an entry point, especially now when a lot of like k-dramas and, and things like that are so accessible on um, netflix or some of these streaming sites mm. and a lot of the older places where you know you used to be able to find japanese dramas have shut down some parts of east asian pop culture become more accessible and others these old fan communities um just sort of withered his live journal now is there's nobody there really agree and um it's a shame because i think the fans still exist i think they've just moved on to other platforms like twitter and i think maybe tumblr for a point in time i've never really gotten into facebook but i think there's still an active community there so those are the platforms that I can think of at the moment. Instagram, not so much, I think, even though Arashi is very active on it. But I don't necessarily see it as a platform where people interact, like fellow fans interact a lot. But that's just my experience of the um, fan culture in general. I can't say it's the same for uh, most of the other fans. Yeah, yeah, it's a sh it really is a shame. Um, I feel like... Twitter is just so loud and unruly 
in a lot of ways, it doesn't really lend itself to some of the discussions we used to get into. I mean, we used to have comment thread chains that would just go on for <laughs> pages, you know, and everybody would join in. Yeah, there's one. Yeah. <laughs> and, people, and people could find those posts because you just need to go to someone's account or, you know, remember to read the blog post, whereas Twitter is there's only so much you can do with what was it 160 characters maybe so you know um things are bound to get lost somewhere i can find my <laughs> tweets sometimes um when i want to recap things yeah yeah you think you said something or uh, like oh i i thought i remembered someone saying this and you'll search and there's just it's so much it's like um a stream you know, always changing or a river of just yeah. content. It's always, there's always somebody saying something new. I don't know. It, and I feel like people are, I mean, people could be mean on live journal too. I definitely remember. Oh gosh. I, <laughs> I recently got comment notifications for an old post that somebody recently had come on to leave nasty comments about Yamapi for some <laughs> reason. Like I don't know why. Why? I don't know. Part of the agency anymore. (laughs) Someone would just come and just leave nasty comments about Yamapi for no reason. Um, yeah, I was just like, well, okay. I don't know. This this post is ten years old, but (laughs) like you do you. Um, but I feel like that that attitude was a lot less. Um, and uh, yeah. It's pretty common um, on Twitter if you say something you'll and you catch the attention of just somebody in a bad mood or um, some of these accounts, I, mean, I think they exist just to bully people. But luckily, I, I feel like at least in English, English language, um, RSG Twitter is pretty kind for the most part. Um, when there was that fuss over the um, best-selling album, of 2019, um, I, I know that there was a lot of nasty comments hurled towards Arashi and towards Arashi fans, but from what I saw, I think they handled it pretty pretty gracefully, all things considered. I think the instinctive reaction um, of a lot of people in this fandom were, what are the awards even all about? Because as a fandom, we've never really gone after these sort of awards simply because we didn't need them to support the group or to make the group shine. They shone on their own terms and, you know, it was more of a domestic appeal. So we saw it as a nice bonus, but we didn't necessarily think that it warranted that much attention until we started getting attention. And then it was like, wait, wait, what? What's the fuss about? Well, it's it's this attitude. I, the difference in attitude is, you know, the where the award confers meaning um, yeah. versus, you know, a fandom like Arashi's where the award is just sort of acknowledging what everybody already knows, which is why this yeah, um, exactly. their appearance on the upcoming um, Japan, what is it, the record, record awards as like special special guests and they're getting a special award and um i mean it's it's nice it's but it's it's not conferring meaning it's just acknowledging what everyone already knows is that um arashi is a 
special and very well liked group. They don't need an award to. Uh, <laughs> they don't need an award to tell everybody that. Everyone already knows. Yeah, and the people who, to whom Archie matters most, know that already, which is their fans. So they don't really have to prove themselves to other people. Um, not necessarily because, in terms of, um, the kind of revenue that they're generating economically, they're there, and um, I don't think it's necessary for them to stretch beyond what they're doing now. So long as they're happy in delivering the content that's meaningful, um, and enjoyable to their fans. Yeah, yeah. I I just saw the twenty twenty um Oricon rankings have come out and Arashi was number one um, in Japan uh, in terms of um, overall revenue for everything in 2020 which I mean I think just says it all about their kind of place yeah yeah, (laughs) about their place in um, kind of music culture and popular culture it's just been really nice seeing all the outpouring of um, tributes and um just appreciation and um and it's also been very touching too to see how they've really kept up the level of performance and music um even knowing that um fans will just buy fan that you know there are fans who will buy anything no matter what but um you know arashi has never they've never taken advantage of that to release something that wasn't good and even this last year with um songs like kaito which was just really really lovely and um written by yonezu kenshi just have been just very uh pleased and happy and um you know very happy to to have all of these songs even coming you know what other groups you know they've been around for 20 years and you're still excited to get a single you know (laughs) it's not that's that's not um that's not every group certainly yeah and i think it helps that they also do new collaborations with other artists just to keep things fresh. And I've really appreciated the music that they churned out in um, the past two years, especially. Uh, 
some of it was a deviation from what they would normally bring out and it took a while to warm up to them but I really appreciate the effort to kind of just constantly reinvent themselves and um, that is to me what the group stands for more than anything else it's a constant evolution of um, you know how they can be the best that they can possibly be with their current um, state yeah yeah and and it's it's really amazing to hear um, from people uh, who've never really listened to Arashi before, but have now found them on Spotify or some of these new platforms that they're kind of um, exploring in these last year or so and listening to this new material and saying, wow, this sounds good. <laughs> um, you know, and just... I had a um, a friend reach out and say that she'd heard Do You, which is the kind of funky... Oh! Yeah, and she was studying and just sort of listening to Spotify, just, you know, some sort of random playlist and this, uh, uh, random J-pop or J-rock playlist, and this had come up, and she was oh. really enjoying it and stopped and looked and saw it was Arashi. And she knew I was um, a fan and so messaged me and said, hey, I just heard this Arashi song. It was really good. Everybody wants to move dancing. Anytime you keep my money grooving. I know you are party people. Go to the place. All right. The money, the house is fine. Come on tonight. Mara you may know. To, to me, I think that's kind of the the magic of Arashi is that um, they can, 20 years on, they can still just turn on that sparkle, turn on that idol charm and pick up a new fan. I, I mean, that's just incredible to me. Yeah, and the thing is that maybe in Asian culture, people tend to think of boy bands as, you know, just some good-looking guys who maybe can dance or perform on stage, but to hear someone just connect to Arashi's music just through a streaming platform like Spotify, that really is an amazing story because, you know, it it's, it speaks more, more about the music um, than anything else, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said um, at the beginning, um, and I've certainly said before on here, but I, I did connect first with the music. Um, and I, I do think that it's it's easy to overlook Arashi's music because I mean they they don't write their own songs um I mean Sho does write his raps um which have delivered many memorable lines to us um such as uh it's just like a supernova next to the door one of the all-time classics but I think that that doesn't those elements don't matter as much as the ability to pick a good song um that will that suits them that suits 
the mood that suits their voices that they can really sink their teeth into they've just very they've just excelled at that i mean i think as soon as they really started to have a lot more control over their output um their music and what it was they could do around that 10th anniversary i think um the music just became just so high quality and has just stayed that way all through all through their this this last decade i don't think you can find a bad album or a bad a bad single really i agree and i think while not everybody will love every song um the kind of thought that they've really put into even simple things like the track list how it would play and how they would then rearrange it for a concert setting has had so much thought put into it and if you were to watch you know uh, um documentaries like voyage or even some of the older um behind the scenes films um like the one that the nhk uh did for the 15th anniversary um a lot of work and a lot of thought actually and a lot of input from them um goes into the music as well which i think when i was first getting to know them i was surprised to find out i thought oh you know they had all these people writing songs for them but i didn't realize what went into the um conceptualization of the album or uh, the kind of music that they wanted to express uh, those things were new to me but of course i think now as people watch more and more of uh, the documentaries they're you know finding out more about uh, this side to arashi yeah yeah it is pretty cool like this the stuff that fans you know already knew <laughs> But now everybody else can um, find out about it, too, because that is one thing with sort of the Johnny's groups and the, the Johnny's um, system is that traditionally it was very um, gated and you did have to buy the DVD or the um, CD to really get those behind the scenes um, clips in the behind the scenes documentary. But now they're putting more out on Netflix and um some of the younger groups on they'll have making or that kind of thing on YouTube now. And then uh, um, Arashi even put out one of their concert films on YouTube, which was kind of cool. It was um, I want it was the Untitled show, I want to say. Oh yes, yes. Uh, so they had put up both Untitled and Arafes. So I think those are still on YouTube, although they said that they would be uploading it for a limited time only thankfully it's still there yeah with us yeah anybody who's listened this far and is curious should definitely go and um check it out just to see what to get a taste of what an arashi concert really is like although again i have i i have not been lucky enough to attend but having heard the stories um (laughs) not to get all depressed again but um it's been just so cool just following all the stuff that they've done this year um, from Spotify to YouTube and Instagram and Netflix and all these new new ways of reaching people. Yeah, it's really exciting to see how they've, um, I would say, pivoted throughout this pandemic because they had to change a lot of their original plans, but I think they made some new ones as well and they tried to 
revise as best as they can the ones they already had. So um, it was comforting, I would say, to see some of their friend, uh, plans still come to fruition in the form of the RFS uh, in November or the New Year Eve live. So I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that New Year's Eve live is going to be just out of this world. I, yeah, I won't even speculate. Because <laughs> I'm sure anything I can imagine will be far surpassed by um, Marvelous MJ and his genius, utter genius. Well, I, I don't know if you want to go through maybe some of our favorite live performances or memories um, on variety shows or I don't know if you've thought about it or just want to kind of just chat and see what you, see where things go. Sure, since we're on the topic of concerts already, maybe we can start with live performances. Yeah, sure. Do you have a favorite? Oh my gosh. Um, I have... <laughs> I have some ones I'm very fond of <laughs> to include. Um, I love the whole Beautiful World concert DVD. That's one of my favorite things like in on the entire planet. Like I, I love that concert. I've seen it so many times um, from when they pop up and it's just raining and the sky is all gray and they're doing Believe and they have these just like I don't know I just have this image of just these shocking colorful costumes against this like gray sky and the wind is going and the rain and and they're just dancing um like nothing could stop them and that that memory for me um is one of my favorite things what about you um I mean, Beautiful World definitely ranks as one of my favorite concerts. Um, I think it was the first concert DVD that I had bought um, as a pre-order. So that was, I think, the year that I really got into Arshi's music. Before that was Boku no Miteru Fuke, and that was an excellent, excellent concert as well. Um, I think the most memorable one would probably be the one that I had first attended in person which was popcorn because of the water screen that they had introduced that year and I was very sad to you know uh, realize that June never did bring it back I don't know whether it was a budget thing yeah. or whether she just wanted to you know keep things fresh and new um, but I had never seen an equipment like that used in an indoor concert of all places before so it was really amazing to me to kind of see that um, being pulled off and um, they had reworked some of the older songs like Refrain um, into this very beautiful um, choreographed dance with umbrellas and using the water screen as a backdrop so that was very I would say romantic uh, if that's the word to describe it yeah that's Um, a good word yeah it was it was a really different take on the performance and of the song and I think the magic of you know Arashi concerts is that sometimes they take old songs and they help us to see it in a different way and that's what I really appreciate so popcorn was really special to me and um I love so many songs on that album I think Face Down uh Wild 
at heart, which was, I think, a song that's still very dear to me for the message that um, it had. Of course, you have the DJMJ uh, appearing in the popcorn uh, concert as well. So that was that was really fun to watch and to I think see people's reactions live because it was just so fun to hear the reactions in person. In the DVDs, you always. You know the fans are always toned down, but when you're really there at the concerts, um, the atmosphere is just electrifying, and I think that's one of the the um experiences that I'll I'll always remember all my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's some like you can watch, um, like Summer Splash or Hadashi no Mirai on the DVD, and you can get a sense of the excitement, but I can't imagine being there and actually doing the the dance. I'm sure that's that's um a pretty special a pretty special moment. Yeah, and I think it really um, it really goes back to Arshi's relationship with their fans because a lot of the fan um call and responses was things that they had built up gradually over the years. And so if you were there for the first time, um, some people might not be totally familiar. And um, it was really fun to see the dads or the boyfriends in the audiences. You, you could tell who they were immediately. <laughs> and it was really fun to watch. And of course, there were some guys in the audience um, who would be there. And they are, they are actually fans of Arashi and not you know just accompanying a girlfriend or... Um, a family member but um it was always fun to see uh the family members uh the dads and the brothers just joining in the fun it was fun that people could easily participate in even though they might not necessarily know the moves um which is why in 2013 when they in- introduced uh, a dance for funky <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
requested people who came to the concert to learn the steps. It was really stressful because uh, everybody came and I think most people around me I could observe knew how to dance to the song. So I thought, wow, you know, you guys are really diligent. But I think Arshi has that ability to inspire their audience to want to be part of the concert and make it an even better um, performance for everyone. I think they did it on Music Station with the audience, and I watched that. Oh, there was the um, there was like the all the all men performance that they did for the crowd of like male fans. I think that was yeah, Music that was Station. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that was a really fun one too. They got so hyped up, and then there was the um, the Sakura Music Station performance. So just that flood of cherry blossom petals that just came raining down i will never forget that yeah and it's always funny to me how music station always um goes into overdrive or overkill mode when it comes to paper confetti um <laughs> but it's fine it's it's fun i can't imagine cleaning up afterwards but it's fun to watch <laughs> It is fun to watch. Oh gosh, I mean, not to go always back to Kohaku, but that same 2018 Kohaku uh, show goes and speaks with um, Kitachi Masaburo, sort of, um, and there's they put in a little video of it, and show is asking him what he remembers about Kohaku or his his favorite memories, and he's you know what is Kohaku to you, and and, and Sabo-chan is like, well, it's the paper confetti. <laughs> You know, because he was famous for these performances on Kohaku, just with the confetti raining down. And um, it's nice that Arashi is now part of that same tradition of paper confetti. <laughs> and that's something just yeah. very uh, Japanese music show about paper confetti. I don't know. Yeah, and it's it's really hilarious to see it all stuck in their hair after the performance. <laughs> <laughs> all the hairspray and gel and everything. And yeah, it must be difficult to get out. I'm trying to think what else oh gosh I, there's that um famous uh or maybe it's not famous but the nino performance from shonen club typhoon generation of giving that reluctant line at the beginning I, I mean, I suppose that was the era they didn't have any control over their music. <laughs> he might have posted that line out of the song. Yeah, I, I love whenever they make uh, Nino do anything that he doesn't want to do. It's always very funny. Yeah, that's, that's one of the best things. <laughs> about some older yeah anything sorry go on oh i was just gonna say that i really loved their performance with yumin on um, oh fns kyosai this year Oh, 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 oh,
yeah, I really loved hearing them sing with Yumin. I thought they sounded really nice, and it was fun to see her kind of interact with them as well. This legendary, legendary, legendary singer-songwriter, and you know, here she is singing, um, I think they sang Kimi no Uta together. It was very sweet. But you were saying um, some of the older performances? Yeah, is there any older performance that um, you remember or you enjoyed particularly? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so many. Um, I really love, speaking of doing things reluctantly, there's that whole era of Wish where they're in those red velvet suits and Nino and Sho in particular always just look so miserable in their crushed red velvet suit singing Wish but they they do it anyway they do it anyway and um, yeah yeah, I don't know It's, it's I'm sure it was awful at the time but looking back now kind of fondly at that era um and i always loved um all of the step and go performances um i i don't know i I think maybe just the costuming was just very bright and cheerful and the song itself is very bright and cheerful um that's a really that one step and go sticks in my memory a lot Probably one of the people in the minority that, you know, doesn't quite appreciate Step and Go for what it is. (laughs) Oh, no. I just step on the landmine. But yeah, and and I think that's the beauty of Arshi's music, isn't it? Because there's always something there that appeals to different people. So, you know, um, fans may like something, but they may not necessarily love another song. Uh, as much but that doesn't mean that it's not good it's just not a piece of cake um, which is fine uh, so in terms of the older performances um, I'm not sure if Believe qualifies as an older performance oh I love Believe yeah I think yeah, so yeah but the one yeah the one that they did on the first year in Kohaku was so great because I think there was a really good nervous energy that they brought with them um, to their Kohaku debut, obviously, and um, you know the way the camera angles worked for that performance, and it, it was just really energetic and uh, dynamic in the way they delivered that performance. So that one was really nice, um, and of, co- of course, there's this really cool story about you know how they didn't succeed in the quick costume changes during the rehearsals but things worked out in the actual performance so that was really fun to hear about as well and associate with that uh, particular year (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of um, Kohaku and the end of the year music shows in general. And I've, I've loved watching show as host of um, Best Artist <laughs> for the last few years. I think he's done such a great job. And those Arashi performances are always great. That, that show in particular has a lot of good energy. Do those count as, I guess those count as old now. Like Wild at Heart and that great, um, that great, like, uh, Yara Tomoyuki choreography. I feel so old. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Lotus, I can't believe Lotus is old now. Yeah, and I think Lotus is, for me, one of those really underrated songs mm. um, that I really loved, but people don't talk about it as much, so I'm really glad that you brought it up. <laughs> well, I'll never forget, because I think Aiba said it as, he was like, he said Lotus or Rutus. They're like, no, it's Lotus. Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why these are the things I remember. such good sense of humor about themselves gosh i'm gonna miss them so much but i guess that's what um yeah. all the the years of content that we have i mean they'll never really go away as long as we have our memories and we have our cds and dvds and external hard drives full of um <laughs> variety shows who kn- and who knows what the future will bring you know anything could happen Maybe Ona will get tired of fishing at some point. Maybe it'll be fun for a year or two, and then he'll think, you know, I really would love to have a camera on me while I ate some desserts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be amazing. I I mean, I think above all else, um, a lot of fans just want them to be happy and 
doing what they love. Um, I think there's a lot of things that they love about being Arashi, but um, it shouldn't be at the risk or at the expense of their personal lives or personal aspirations. So as much as we love watching them, I think um, the desire for them to, you know, do the things that they really want is probably greater, which is why I think fans would be able to come to peace with Arashi's decision to go on hiatus eventually, although it would be very painful, I think, for a lot of people in the first few initial months of 2021. Yeah, yeah, I, I've gotten that sense from from Arashi fans that it's been... Um, people have been very supportive, I think, um, and very understanding. And I'm glad that they they had this chance to, to really say goodbye and, and say thank you to us um, for all of these years of support. Um, because, you know, I, I've gone back and watched a few older things over the last week or so. I mean, it's pretty incredible how we've watched them grow up over the years, um, go from, you know, these punk kids on late night TV, um, you know, making rude jokes and, um, <laughs> you know, putting pantyhose over their heads, <laughs> you know, uh, going from that to um, really having to, uh, you know, a few awkward um, years of transition from um, sort of going from everybody's sort of mago mago um, grandchild or younger brother or kind of um, sort of bratty, bratty, like high school kid or something, you know, to, to go from that image or from that um, to, to, to sort of grow up and mature and um, really, really come to, to take on a lot more responsibility and um, for their own careers and, and for their image. And um, it's been such a, a journey. And, and I know that you know, not everyone was there from the beginning, but, you know, even those, those of us who came in along the way, I, I think we all have such a deep appreciation for this long and, um, you know, just utterly legendary career that, um, that they've had. And I, I think even for those of us who just feel like there's all this content that even if you feel like you've seen everything, you haven't seen everything. And I think even now, if you're just becoming a fan or you just became a fan, like it, like Arashi is still there. Like their, their content is still there for us to enjoy. Um, the members themselves are still all going to be active in show business, except for, oh no, but you know, I, I think, um, you can still watch Iba's variety shows or, um, I'm wondering if, um, Matsumoto might be working with some of the um, younger groups like Stones or Snowman and, and like a production capacity. I don't know if you've heard anything either way. Yeah, that would be a really exciting prospect. And um, I think what we've heard from June is that he's taking January or he's taking a break, um, you know, in 2021 just to kind of figure things out. So... I don't think there's been any definitive news other than the ones that have been already announced, like, you know, uh, show and Aiba's new programs, which are taking over the Shiagari or the uh, VSRG slots. Mm. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see um, what 
uh, Matsumoto does because he's he's just such a, a brilliant um, producer and um, with Takizawa now sort of in running things and um, he's also got this real um, gift I think for for stagecraft and, and production I think I would be very curious to see um, you know what uh, Jun could do with a group like Stones so I really hope that he does stick around and, and work with them yeah definitely and it would be really interesting to um, see how he drives the younger groups um, forward in terms of their stage performances um, but I think a lot of his fans are also probably looking forward to him return to the stage as well so. oh my gosh yeah it would be interesting to see, um, you know, what projects he does decide to work on once he's had some time to think about it. Yeah, I he, I just find him so fascinating as a an artist and a performer. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm, well, like I said earlier, I, I'm one of the few people that I that you know will stand up in defense of his vocal abilities and his voice and. Um, I really love his. I've always loved his solo songs on the um, on the Arashi's albums, and his solo performances are always incredible. Like um, "Yabai Yabai," where he walks on the ceiling, um, or <laughs> um, oh gosh, yeah, it was it was the popcorn tour which you saw live, where he does um, that that switch from his you know wearing his little popcorn head and acting all goofy and then he goes into like this super funky like really cool like solo song what can i do for your service how can i brew for your service how can i walk tonight judge you know what's about tonight you just know me keep it real secret deal oh what a nice cool feeling can't you feel the vibes girl so don't forget the rice ball is this a real fun oh i wanna know keep your body moving to dance beyond the floor i get i get shaky just has such a sense of the theatrical and I, I think he's always trying to amaze and surprise and um, just make an impression on, on audiences. Yeah and I think that really is his gift because um, you know like you mentioned there are people out there who may think that his vocals are not the best in the group or that you know there are, are better dancers uh, within the group um, but his gift really is just creating um, a show from scratch and then just managing this humongous team of like maybe 300 staff and ensuring that everything goes according exactly to the way that um, things are meant to be run. So, um, you know, for more... Uh, director slash producer Matsumoto Jun. I really uh, highly recommend people out there to go watch Voyage if you have access to Netflix. Um, it's really a very fascinating look at what he does behind the scenes as a concert director and producer. And just recently, I think we had this comment from his uh, choreographer, uh, Nashimoto, who is a 
retired or rather ex-Johnny's and he was, you know, just saying how June would spend 15 minutes just looking at fabrics to pick out the lining for the lining for a jacket that they're going to button up. <laughs> Nobody's going to really see it because the jacket was going to be buttoned up, but that's the amount of detail that um, our dear marvelous Matsumoto but he would he uh, would know he would know that it was there and yeah yeah he would see that lining <laughs> he would see that line. he would feel it maybe it wouldn't like crease right and you know oh this is gonna feel too sticky or yeah. yeah yeah i i love i love hearing that i really do he's so incredible i like i, I never run out of good things to say about um marvelous matsumoto june i think he's such yeah. a such a talent such a talent yeah and it's really fascinating to see that you know artists to me i've never really noticed or probably um read about as much as arashi but it's really fascinating for me to um see artists especially pop groups taking control of the production of the creative direction so um it's been really refreshing to see him work and to um see how he brings his vision to life yeah yeah and and also um that that journey of sort of learning to to scale up his the stage show and to scale up from doing stadiums to doing these domes and like you said walking around the outside of the the farthest seat and thinking to himself all right, how can I reach this person sitting here? Um, and I, I, I don't know, just that that dedication to the furthest seat in the house, I think is, to me, that just, that's Arashi. That, that's what, that's center the, the soul of Arashi is their determination to reach the person sitting in the back row of the, the dome. The person in the farthest seat, they want that person to have the same show as, or the same, you know, high quality experience or the same message as the person sitting in the front row. Um, and that, that attitude, I think, is just so inspiring. Um, it's just very, very inspiring. Yeah, and a lot of the things that they do, it's in the little details because, um, for me, uh, what I really appreciate is, for example, you know, um, the audio for their concerts has always been consistently good. Um, I don't think there's a concert that I've gone to whereby I felt that the audio in um, the arena or in the dome wasn't working so well. And um, the concerts, I mean, you know, they would then talk about uh, if they had messed up, they would you know, make a joke out of it, and, you know, during the MC. But it shows that they are continuously reflecting on um, what went well or what didn't go so well during the show and how aware they are of it, even during the MC. So to me, that's something that is amazing to me. And I think one last thing is probably that they always flash the lyrics to the songs. Uh, during the concerts. I don't know if there's something that they've always done, but this is something that I really appreciate because not everybody would know every song. 
And I think a lot of the meaning in the music also comes from the lyrics. So it's really um, great that they are able to just share the message of their songs by flashing um, the lyrics on the screen or sometimes even, you know, working it into the concert video footage to make the concert more exciting or more lively. That's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, I think that's that may be one of the things where outsiders, um, especially, um, you know, non-Japanese speaking people may, you know, they may look at a group like Arashi or hear a song and think like, well, you know, it's just pop music It you know, it's nothing special. But I, I think, you know, that's where the work that you've done all these years, um, translating and um, helping to bring some of the meaning um, to non-Japanese speakers is so important because I, I think it is easy to dismiss um, a song if you if you don't understand the lyrics. Um, but when you do get that full picture, I think it's very different. And I think that if you're coming to Arashi for the first time um, as a non-Japanese speaking person, I, I think it's really worth taking the time to look at the translation or look for sort of an explanation of the song or um, before dismissing it as just a simple pop song or, or just nothing special. Yeah, and I think I didn't quite realize how intentional they were with the messaging until um, they really started talking about it when they had announced the hiatus. Because up till now, every time they performed the song, it was really about promoting the latest single or um, trying to you know promote the theme song to a drama. But in recent years, when... Um, they were releasing music prior to, you know, the hiatus. It really was about reaching out to the fans and leaving, uh, I would say, perhaps a, a legacy of their music for the fans. So it's always something that I've kind of seen from them. They have always tried to let their music reach out to the fans and connect with them. When they had first set up the YouTube channel, I remember the first kind of preview that they played. The video was, the tagline was coming closer to you. And this has been, I think, one of the messages that they've really driven in their brand um, all these years. They have always tried to connect with the fans through the concerts and like you said they make sure that the person in that last row gets a similar um, experience to the person who's sitting right in the arena um, in as many ways as they can so this is something that I think um, I really appreciate about them because you can tell that they put a lot of thought into a lot of the activities that they do and a lot of the messages that they write to the fans yeah yeah you really can feel that they they do care about their fans and they care what the fans think and they care um they care about uh, about making sure that not that they're not disappointing anyone but that they're living up to the high expectations that people have i don't know i maybe we should maybe we should wrap it up it's been i've got about an hour and a half which is a lot um, yeah i think we've talked a, we've talked a lot yeah, we've but talked so, about Thank you so much. <laughs> no, I'm I'm really, really happy. Um you could come and, and talk with me and um I know this is like a really emotional time and um you've been so 
busy with all the um, end of the year and you know sort of the end of the SRC and the end of um, Shiagare but um, I really appreciate all the work that you do and um, even though I don't watch the shows regularly I can always count on your screen caps and, and updates um, and then I know which ones <laughs> that I can go back and watch <laughs> yeah just thank you for everything that you've done it's been really fun um, knowing you online for all these years and I'm glad that you know we could reconnect again on Twitter even though live journal is um, long gone yeah I mean this was really fun for me as well and you know we can always do this again it doesn't have to be a podcast it can just be you know um, just a catch up and oh no of course yeah. we could we could do a uh, rewatch uh, stuff like that if if you're interested I'll go yeah, dig up absolutely. some old marvelous MJ episodes and one of my favorites of Shiagare is the one where they have on, um, I think it's Soragumi, uh, Takarazuka, and they're all in oh, these big yeah. lifts <laughs> because the Otokoyaku are all just like towering over them. <laughs> and so they're all in yeah. these like super oh. high shoes doing like the twirls yeah. and lifts and everything. I love that episode. All the, all the secret shoes in the <laughs> yeah. world can't help Archie. I mean, it was it was so funny because, like, when they were watch when they were filming the episode with Stones and Stoneman. Oh wait, they did an episode on When when was this? I'm gonna have to find this. Oh, it's at the start of the series. I love yeah. I um I love both those groups. They're so. I mean, I've been watching them for years on like Shokoha right. and because they back danced for. Both of them back danced for ABCZ mm. for a lot, a lot, a lot. But yeah, I'll have to watch that. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Fun. So, okay, then I wouldn't say any further. You should, you oh. should just go watch that episode. <laughs> but the only thing that really stuck out to me about the camera work in that episode is they, they never really had a, a panned out shot of the group standing <laughs> next to each other. So you can't tell how tiny she is against <laughs> people like Jesse or... Oh, Raul. Oh my god, Raul is so tall. Have you seen the um the video for Kissing My Lips or for the choreography for that? Because, um, yeah, Iwamoto and Raul both have these like mega long legs and they do these high kicks. Yeah, and yeah. It's like, whoa. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah. Y- yeah, I, <laughs> you don't want to have um like Ono sitting next to uh, Iwamoto, like kind of panned out shot. <laughs> All the hairspray in the world won't save him. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was, it was. So I was trying to find a shot because I wanted to see the height difference from like a proper camera angle, and I realized that the way they edited the show and kind of like placed their standing positions are such that they never really had to do that, which was kind of funny. So we should. You should go watch it. It's 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 really good. Yeah, I'm gonna um keep this part in. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me uh end the recording. Um, uh, do you have a song that you want to go out on? I don't know. Um, maybe uh, oh, uh, turning up. Turning up with the J-pop. Yeah. All right. I think that's great. Because it's like, it's part of the happy atmosphere, right? And it was such a great ending song to our fest. 
Yeah. 2020. It's, it's such a cute song. I really, this one has really grown on me. Um, the more I've heard it over the year or over the last year, like the more I've really, really come to enjoy it. Yeah. I know people were saying that, why this, why did this top the singles ranking? <laughs> and then June had to say, we didn't cheat, all right? <laughs> it really did top the singles ranking. <laughs> But I'm not surprised. It's such a great bop and um, just overall a really great pop song. Yeah, agreed. All right, so we'll go out with um, we're gonna we're gonna turn up the J-pop and I will say goodbye here. You know what's coming. You call the feeling. Let's get the party started. Yeah, just to smile again, again. Say it now, keep.